0: What is up, ambitious listeners? Great episode coming at you today. Jake Asman of The Jake Asman Show on Sports Map Radio, and he also does some work for ESPN 97.5. He joins the show today. Great conversation with him. Uh, Braved a little bit of background noise, but we had a great conversation about uh, all things sports, uh, some Jets, some free agency stuff in general, some Giants, so a lot of New York sports, but uh, just a great all overall conversation with him. Great guy from New York, uh, actually share some connections, so it was just a really, really fun time talking to him. So that conversation with Jake, after a quick word from our presenting sponsor, Anchor. Yo, what is up? Welcome to Ambitious. My name is Dylan Price. Today's guest is a, I would have to say, one of the hardest working men in sports entertainment. Uh, he has a show on Map Radio from 9 to 11 a.m. He also has worked for some ESPN affiliates at 97.5, um, done some work for WFAN, and all around just an incredibly bright sports mind. So ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Jake Asman. Jake, how is it going, my man? Dylan, I'm doing
1: great. I got to, you know, I got to get you to be my agent or something, man, with that introduction. Thank you.
0: Well, I'm glad to hear it. Uh, If there's one thing that comes out of this interview, it's at least I did the introduction right. But I want to talk sports with you, Jake, because I actually have followed you for a little bit now um, on various platforms and just looking into uh, everything you've been doing. And it seems like very recently... You've been all over media in terms of listening to your interview with Brandon Marshall. I listened to some stuff with Kevin Owens. And what what has your journey been like to this point? Can you film myself and the audience in?
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, it's funny you mentioned the Kevin Owens one because, you know, out of all the interviews I've done in my career, either on the radio show or something I've done outside of radio, the Kevin Owens one got all this press. And I don't know anything about wrestling. I had very <laughs> limited knowledge of WWE. All the questions I asked Kevin Owens were basically – because my uh, my uncle and my cousin, who loved WWE, basically like gave me some suggestions on what to ask, and to see you know his comments after I think it was what uh, the Royal Rumble or WrestleMania, one of those things mm-hmm. go goes so viral. It was uh, it was pretty funny to see because you know you mentioned the Brandon Marshall interview that went all over the place. But at least you know as a Jet fan, I knew what to ask him, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so it was kind of funny. But yeah, I've been I've been really lucky in my career. I've been doing radio uh, since I was in high school, kind of like you know your story you were telling me. Off there, I grew up on Long Island in in Syosset, New York. And um, I was lucky that when I was in high school, I went to a school that had a a radio station in the basement that was student run. (laughs) So I've been doing, you know, a radio show since I was 13. You know, in high school, it was once a week, and I did some writing for the school newspaper and did some stuff on my own with a podcast with a friend. It was kind of when podcasts were first starting to get pretty big. And now you could do things over Zoom, you could do things over a live stream. So it's so different now, but I was kind of at the very beginning of that, um, growing up, you know, on Long Island, going to high school. So um, really from there, I went to Ithaca College for four years where I, I graduated with a communications degree and got a chance to do play by play, talk radio, uh, newscast, write for the school paper, got some great hands on internship experience. And um, I graduated in Ithaca May of 2017, first year at a school Worked a couple part-time gigs, including a uh, producer gig at WFAN and, and CBS Sports Radio. And then while I was doing that, I worked uh, part-time at an internet-only station on the east end of Long Island, just so I could get you know daily reps and get a chance to talk sports and stay fresh and have you know a current demo tape I could send out to different radio stations around the country to try and get a job. And 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 I got lucky. About a year after doing that, working those two part-time roles, uh, there was a full-time opportunity that opened up with a company called gal media here in houston gal media is the parent company for uh sports map radio and for espn 97.5 the local espn station so there was an opportunity to come down to houston and and contribute to both stations and since then i've worked my way you know towards getting my own show uh five days a week monday through friday and then a show on saturday so it's been you know it's been great being down here in houston and um i've been grateful to get a chance to to do what i love and get on the radio every day so that's kind of you know, the, the story in a nutshell, if that makes sense,
0: Dylan. Well, incredibly impressive. I mean, you graduated just four years ago from Ithaca, and you're already a fixture in the sports media industry that, as you said, is getting a ton of traction and incredibly hardworking. So I got to ask, you know, looking back to when, even when you were my age, did you ever see yourself getting to this point?
1: Yeah, I, you know, it's funny, like, I don't know if I ever had like a goal, like, "Oh, I want to graduate and then be doing this." But I, I never really had a plan B. Like, I knew I wanted to do something in sports media. Going into college, I didn't know if it was specific to radio or play-by-play for a team or what sport I'd want to work in. But I knew I wanted to do something in sports media, so I never really thought of what I would do if I didn't do something in sports media. Now, I, I thought if I wasn't in radio or TV, maybe I could do PR you know, maybe I could produce, maybe I could just do something to stay around it. But I, I was always just so focused on getting reps, getting experience. And that that has, uh, I think, allowed me to kind of stay focused on what I've tried to do. And then, you know, you got to get lucky along the way. There has to be an opportunity that opens up. You got to be the right fit. Um, you know, obviously no one could predict that a global pandemic was going to happen in the last year. So that certainly has affected, you know, the job market and, and people's opportunities. So, you know, I've been really lucky and I've, I've always just tried to, to really work hard I, maybe I'm not the best broadcaster by any means but you know there's no one that's gonna you know put more time into the craft than, than me is how I've always looked at it right so um, I'm just grateful to be where I'm at and you know it's kind of crazy you mentioned four years coming up since I graduated it doesn't feel like it in some respects and then in some respects it does so time flies and I'm just trying to have fun and, and take it one day at a time.
0: Well, as you hear, a little construction going on back here, but we're with Jake Asman of uh, SportsMap Radio. Jake, when did you realize that this was what you wanted to do?
1: Very early on, I think. Uh, I grew up on Long Island, as I mentioned, and I would listen religiously to sports talk radio. I would listen religiously to baseball games on the radio. You know, I'd go, I'd go to sleep during baseball season. The Yankee game would be on or the post game would be on or I'd hear, you know, the voice of... You know, Steve Summers overnight. Uh, I would listen to Mike and the Mad Dog on FA and every day. I would listen to the Michael K Show on ESPN Radio New York every day. And I just fell in love with the with the broadcasters as much as I love my teams. You know, I'm a diehard Yankee fan, Jet fan, Islander fan, Nick fan. But as much as I love those teams, I also loved you know the broadcasters that were associated with those teams and loved the the aspect of like you know, being a talk radio host where you interact with an audience and you talk sports and whatever else like that, that always uh, appealed to me. And then I just think the fact that I got a chance to really do it when I was in high school, right, as a ninth grader at 13 years old, I was on the radio, that allowed me to get that hands on experience and really fall in love with with that platform and fall in love with sports media. So I probably realized I wanted to do it when I was like in 7th or 8th grade, and then when I got to high school and had a chance to actually be on the radio for the first time, I knew right then and there that this was something I wanted to pursue in college and then, of course, post-college as well.
0: Now let's talk a little sports here. Uh, 50 days away from the NFL Draft, you mentioned you're a Jets fan. So I'm going to ask you straight up, Jake, what do you think the New York Jets should do with the second pick in the 2021 NFL Draft?
1: I think they need to tr- to trade that pick to Houston and get Deshaun Watson if they can. That's where I would start. I-, I would do whatever it takes to get Deshaun. If it means giving up three ones and some mid-round picks, I would do it. He's that good. Cost control through 2025. And I just think the idea that, oh, you can't build a team if you acquire Deshaun because you're giving up so much is nonsense. The Jets have the second most cap space in the league. They have all these other picks besides just the four ones. Over the next two years, this is before they would trade Sam Darnold and either get a late one or at least a second-round pick. And, you know, if Jet fans think Joe Douglas is as good as I think most of them do, then trust Joe Douglas to hit on the other picks that they would still have left over from a Watson trade. So that would be option one for me. Option two, I believe, would still be to draft a quarterback. I'm a huge Sam Darnold fan. I love the pick at the time. He has been failed by the organization as much as any quarterback's been failed prior but the reality is, there is such a risk to stick with Sam because if he doesn't end up being elite and he's just good, good is not going to win you a championship. And then you got to pay him, right? If Sam Darnold's ceiling is just he's Alex Smith or Ryan Tannehill, I don't think you can keep him. I think if you evaluate these quarterbacks and if you're the Jets and you like Zach Wilson and you think he's you know right around the same talent level as Darnold, I think you got to take the quarterback because you're talking about a guy on a rookie deal. You, know, you could sell me on Sam Darnold if you think he's light years better than the guys coming out but if they felt he was light years better than the guy coming out they wouldn't be shopping him like the way they are so option one for me Deshaun Watson if that falls through you can't get Deshaun the Texans are dug in on not trading him then I think you draft the quarterback you trade Sam and then you build around that young quarterback and if that young quarterback's either Zach Wilson or Justin Fields I'm on board but I want Joe Douglas to be the one that make this decision and I believe he will
0: Now, in talking about, before we get to the Deshaun Watson talk, in talking about the Zach Wilson-Justin Fields debate, my co-host Brendan Carpenter and I have that debate nearly every episode that we go on at this point of who we prefer, I'm in the Wilson camp, he's in the Fields camp, so in your opinion, Jake, where do you see the Jets leaning if they had to pick one of the two, and where do you lean?
1: That's tough. I, I, I wish I could pretend like I'm a quarterback expert on this, but man, it is so tough, right? I mean, I, I I go back and forth because I look at what Fields did against Clemson in that moment, in that game, and I don't think it gets talked enough about. I really don't. I, I mean, we try and nitpick Justin Fields because we've all seen him play longer than Wilson because he, you know, Fields went to Ohio State and his games are on TV all the time, but... Zach Wilson didn't play anyone So th- that's a concern I love the way he throws the football I love his talent I love the things I hear about him But we've seen more from Fields So I like what I've seen from Fields I get it, you can say Oh, he wasn't great against Northwestern and whatnot But against Clemson, against NFL dudes In the big spot They got through six touchdown passes And came back into the game after hurting his rib Like that showed me a lot in that performance Well, at the same time I just talked up Wilson I like him too So I, I look at it like this Whatever Joe Douglas wants to do, I will support. I'm not going to be upset if they take either one of those guys. I'd be a little worried if they took, you know, Mac Jones or Trey Lance, but I'm, I'm good with either Fields or Wilson. I, I think that's a decision I
0: want Joe Douglas making and nobody else. It sounds like you're pretty firmly in the Joe Douglas camp. Um, I think that's a pretty good observation to make based on the way you talk about and Why? I mean, I'm a Jets fan as well. I'm very, very much putting the chips in Joe Douglas's boat right now and Robert Sala's. But why Joe Douglas? Why do you believe that he is the savior of this Jets franchise?
1: I just think he understands how to build a football team. You know, I, 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 I've spoken to a lot of people around the league that either have worked with Joe or know him or know someone that is in the Jets front office. And I, I can't get somebody to say, a bad thing about the guy i think the fact that we saw you know douglas take accountability for things that didn't work out right the robbie anderson stuff i think the fact that you know joe douglas ran a really good uh coaching search firm right it wasn't you know a peyton manning recommendation or woody or chris johnson stepping in and hiring the coach right or charlie casserly or uh ron wolf making this decision with todd bowles you know this was um a a, a hire that joe douglas made the football guy made the football decision i also like what joe did in the draft last year and i think if the jets are ever going to get to a place where they win it's going to be because they draft really well and develop their own and i have confidence that he understands value he understands not to overspend on certain players and, and how to build it the right way so i could be dead wrong on this i've been fooled before as a jet fan i think we all have but I feel like the Jets are are finally being led by the right football guy. And I also think the fact that the Jets changed the power structure where the coach reports directly to the GM, as it should have been this whole time, I think that is uh, a significant step. And that shows me that Chris and Woody realize what they have in Joe Douglas. So he's not going to be 100% on every move, but I feel like he's the right guy for where this team's at going forward.
0: Now, um, and we will get to Sean Watson at some point, but in talking about Joe and his class last year's draft class, um, Makai Becton, Denzel Mims, Ashton Davis, Bryce Hall, some of the big names that came out of that class for the Jets team the past season, one year out and one year removed from a draft that some lauded as one of the Jets' best in recent memory, how do you grade out how they performed in the first year as a class as a whole?
1: I thought it was a pretty good draft. I mean, obviously, when you compare it to previous Jets drafts, you know, it's not saying much. It's obviously (laughs) the best they've had in a while. But Makai Becton has a chance to be an all-pro left tackle. You get that at pick 11, you know, no matter what you do the rest of the draft, that's a success. I think Denzel Mims has a chance to be a very, very good player in this league. I think he was victimized by the injuries he went through, the change at quarterback between Flacco and Darnold due to the Darnold injury, and the fact that, you know, Adam Gase didn't know how to utilize uh, Mims' skill set. I, I think the times that we saw Mims make some plays, you saw that uh, that talent that made him, you know, you know, deemed worthy of being one of the top wide receivers coming out from Baylor. So I'm excited about him. I think Ashton Davis played pretty well as a rookie when he got some time. I'm excited to see what he could do in solid defense now going forward. And you know, let's not forget about our guy Brandon Man. Right? The Jets actually yeah. have a really good punter too. So overall, I think it was a solid uh, first draft for Joe Douglas and. You know, with two first-round picks and uh, 19 total draft picks over the next two years, I'm excited to see you know what they can do to to really make this roster um, championship caliber. I hope over the next couple of seasons.
0: Now, with free agency just a few days away, how do you think the Jets should attack free agency? Mike Garofolo went on WFAN yesterday and said that, you know, he sees Joe taking the opposite approach of what he did last season, where Joe, you know, just inked a lot of one-year deals, low money, and this offseason he sees them, you know, being, you know, big game hunting and going after some guys that can fill some of these holes. How do you see the Jets approaching it?
1: I think they're going to be aggressive. I I, I agree with what Mike said on the fan. They have to be. I mean, they got the second most cap space in the NFL. You have so many holes. I mean, this team won two games this past year. I think last year Joe Douglas recognized that the free agent group of talent wasn't that special, which is why he didn't overpay for really anyone. I think the Jets know that they're dealing from a position of strength this time of year because there are so many teams that have had to cut good players because of the salary cap going down and they can't afford to keep some guys. So I think the Jets will benefit from just a remarkable amount of talent that's going to be on the market this year. I think it's a very robust market and I think the Jets are going to be aggressive. They need help on offense at the wide receiver spot, tight end offensive line i think they got to be ultra aggressive to fix the offensive side of the ball they need help on defense there's no doubt but it's an offensive league and if they take a quarterback second overall they can't fail that quarterback like they failed sam darnold they need to do everything possible to surround that young quarterback whoever it is sean darnold or someone they draft with the most amount of weapons possible so i think they're going to be aggressive at wide receiver i think they'll be aggressive on the offensive line and they need to be really aggressive, I believe, at, at edge rusher. Shaq Barrett comes to mind. Uh, you know, Maybe you sign uh, Bud Dupree from the Steelers now that he didn't get the franchise tag. They have to be aggressive in, in getting playmakers on both sides of the ball.
0: You know, in, in looking at the way they're going to play it, I, I hope that they played a lot more aggressive than last offseason because, as you said, this group is better, and it seems like Joe Douglas sees that. But I do want to touch on Deshaun Watson for a sec here before we keep talking about their free agency. Um, how realistic do you really think Deshaun Watson ending up in green and white is? I still maintain
1: my, 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 my quiet confidence in that if they're going to trade him, Houston being, if they're going to trade him before the draft, I think it's the Jets that get him. Now they might not trade him. I had someone on my radio show yesterday, Randy Mueller is a former NFL GM. And I said, what would you do if you were Nick Casario? And he said he wouldn't trade him. He would do exactly what Nick's doing. Say, if teams call, we're not trading them. Deshaun, we got to put the personal feelings aside. You're too good. We're not moving you, and we'll deal with the ramifications of what that could mean going forward. I don't know if the Texans would do it. I think there comes a point in time where Nick Casario might say, you know what, I'm trying to win. I need a full rebuild here anyway. Let me trade Deshaun and, and, and start this rebuild. I don't know if we get to that point, though. I, I'm kind of 50-50 if we get there. So if he's traded, I still think the Jets are the team he goes to because they put together the best package They're in a spot where they give the Texans the second overall pick. They give them any quarterback they want, not named Trevor Lawrence, or they could trade that second overall pick for a huge haul and get even more picks to sell their fan base on a rebuild. So I think that is why, if he's traded, the Jets, to me, still remain the favorites to get him. But I go back and forth a lot, Dylan. I don't know if they're actually going to trade him or not. I think this is something that could linger into the regular season next year, which is crazy, but I really don't know, and I think people here in Houston, when we check in with people that would know, they say the same thing. We we don't know. They keep saying they're not trading him, and now it's a matter of, well, who's going to blink between now and when the draft is, and then we'll see.
0: Now, this quarterback carousel has been unprecedented already to this point. We saw Matt Stafford, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz all end up in new homes. With the way that the league is right now with the cap, you know, this is supposed to be a massacre week, as Diana Rossini called it, what, how much more likely is Deshaun Watson ending up to the Jets because of the circumstances of this year versus any other year?
1: Yeah, I I don't know if it would be, you know, that different just because if you look at Deshaun's contract, it's a very manageable cap hit. So like the Texans aren't going to be inclined to move him because they're like, ah, well, you know, he's... He's playing hardball with us, and then we got to get under the cap anyway. So let's just trade him. I don't think that's a huge factor here. Um, I, I I just think you're going to have a lot of really good players that become available due to the circumstance of the cap decreasing by roughly eight percent. But I don't think that really affects you know the Jets being able to get the Sean. I think if they really want the Sean Watson and they offer three first round picks, there's not a team in the NFL. That can match that offer because the Jets are giving you the second overall pick that's way better than Carolina's eighth pick. That's way better than the Niners' twelfth pick. Like, like, yeah, you could start to include players and whatnot, but I don't think the Texans really want that many players. They want draft picks. They want cheap labor. Nick Casario is a personnel guy. He wants to build the team the way he wants to uh, build it. And the way you build it is by getting picks. And the Jets offer the opportunity for the best type of picks going forward
0: now something that i I floated in a recent article and on the jets podcast is that david muletta represents both justin fields and deshaun watson is that another possibility of why maybe the texans would be more inclined to try to go for number two so that they could grab zach wilson or trey lance and not have to get i guess pigeonholed with justin fields so that they don't have to continue to deal with that representation
1: Right. I think that's definitely a big factor here. And I don't think that gets talked enough about nationally. I know I've tried to mention it on my shows when it comes up, but I think the the agent thing is a real problem. You know, if David Molageta, you know, wants to make things difficult for the Texans, would that maybe stop them from taking Justin Fields? It might. So if the Texans want to trade, you know, to Sean Watson, they trade him to the Dolphins. Well, if the Jets take Zach Wilson second overall, all of a sudden the Texans sit in there with their own pick again, the third pick. Well, if they can't take Fields, how do they feel about uh you know mac jones or trey lance or you know if they wanted to the trade down they wouldn't get as much as they would if they had the second pick and trade it down so i think that's a big factor here that's kind of flying under the radar the fields watson mulligetta agent connection so i think ultimately the jets for that reason you could add it to the list of, of reasons i've laid out why i think they're still in the driver's seat to get the Sean if he's dealt before the draft
0: now um We had Michael Sean Dugar on the other day, the guy who co-wrote the athletic report about Russell Wilson requesting a trade, and he very adamantly said that, you know, he wouldn't have buried the headline 2,000 words in if it was that big of a deal. He thinks there's a fracture. He thinks Russell wants more from the Seahawks and wants them to care more for him. Um, It seems like team three, though, Sierra and everybody around Russ wants him out. It seems like the Seahawks aren't really going to put that much effort into trying to build him an offensive line and build that offensive side of the football. So do you see that relationship is beyond repair?
1: I don't know if it's beyond repair for this upcoming season, but if they have another clunker in a playoff game and they lose, I mean, that, that could maybe put it over the top. I just, I don't see Seattle trading him despite how unhappy Russ is. Like a $39 million dead cap hit is suicidal for a franchise, especially a team that won 12 games this past year and thought they were a Jamal Adams trade away from, you know, being uh, put over the top, right? I mean, there's there's just no way you could justify trading Russ when you won twelve games and you don't have your first round pick this year or next year because you ch- you thought Jamal Adams was your missing piece, so I don't care really how unhappy Russ is, I just don't think they would trade him. I mean, if Russ really wants to go scorch earth, then maybe you know that could change some things. But I, I, I just I think it's way more likely Deshaun Watson's on a different team than Russell Wilson week one of twenty twenty one.
0: Now with free agency, as I mentioned, just a couple days away. What are your bold predictions? I mean, who ends up where that maybe would surprise some people?
1: Ooh, it's a good question. I haven't really thought about it. I think Joe Tooney's going to be a Jet. I I don't know how how bold that is or sexy that is because he's an offensive lineman. That guy's an all-pro guard. I think Joe Douglas, we talked about him earlier on this podcast. He's someone that understands offensive line play. He played the position in college. I can see the Jets. I know they tried to get him last year, and he got tagged. Being very aggressive and trying to land him, I think he's their kind of missing piece At the guard spot, so I think that is going to be a, uh, um, like a point of emphasis for the Jets, and I think that will be kind of their big move to buff up that offensive line. I I seriously don't know where some of these other guys are going to go. I haven't really thought about uh, some big time predictions there. I think the Jets end up with one of the better wide receivers as well because they have such a need and and, and whatnot. And I think there'll be a lot of key players that sign with the Jaguars too, because they got a ton of money and they know Trevor Lawrence is coming to town. So I think the teams that have the most money are going to be the teams that get the most players because it's a year where the cap's going down. And I read that I think each, you know, the average amount of salary cap space an NFL team has is about 13 million. And then there's the jets who have over 80 million. So The teams with the most cap space might benefit more this year than in previous years because of the just infusion of talent that's not normally available when we get to this part of the year.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree. I think the it's almost like Joe Douglas is that good that he saw a uh, global pandemic coming in and he uh, saved some cap, but hell of a move in hindsight because they're well-equipped to make some moves this offseason. And, you know, I, I did a very, very in-depth piece on Thune and whether or not he would be a good fit for the Jets. And of everybody on the market right now, I think he's far and away the best – fit for the jets mainly because he's that style that joe douglas likes he was captain at nc state um he's been a leader for the patriots he's uh, i think he graduated in three years cum laude. he dragged his score down on the wonderlick so he just seems like somebody who would purposely be a major target for joe douglas in the new york jets
1: Absolutely. And, and, and that's the benefit of you know the Jets basically putting themselves in position over the last two seasons for, for this offseason. They have the draft capital. They have the salary cap space. They've won two games. They have needs everywhere. So they need to be ultra-aggressive in trying to fix the
0: roster. Well, as much as I'd love to sit and talk about the Jets for hours on hours, but uh, I also want to talk about the Giants. You said something today about let's not let Daniel Jones be Sam Darnold. Can you elaborate for my audience on what you mean by that?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think Daniel Jones is entering in a very similar situation to what you know the Jets were entering in this past year with Sam Jones. Through two years, has been okay. There's been some signs of brilliance. There's also been you know some turnover problems, and statistically, he regressed in year two compared to what he did. Uh, In his first year. So I think there's some similarities to, you know, Daniel Jones going into his third year, like what Jet fans were hoping to see from Sam. And obviously, after three years, the Jet fan still doesn't really know what Sam Darnold is. Some say he could be great, but it's been failed by the team. Some say, yes, he's been failed by the team, but he he's also just not good enough to elevate a team. So the, the Jets are still debating themselves. What Sam Darnold is my point this morning was all right Giants you have no choice but to stick with Daniel Jones you took him sixth overall it's not like you're picking high enough to get a you know get a replacement that would make sense it's not like there's a free agent or trade option that's available for you so you're stuck with Daniel Jones but do everything in your power to surround him with weapons surround him with better offensive line help so even if Daniel Jones doesn't play well next year at least you know what he is and you can cut bait and move on. If they go through another season where they're still debating what Daniel Jones is, that's a failure by the Giants. So they need an answer on Jones one way or another. And, you know, we said that about the Jets last year. We needed an answer on Darnold one way or another. Well, we never got that answer. And that's why there's a huge debate this offseason. So the Giants can't allow Daniel Jones to be Sam Darnold once again
0: now in looking at where the giants could go to improve are there any guys that stick out of you or stick out to you as guys that maybe would be dave gettleman kind of targets like uh, kenny galladay a will fuller juju smith schuster guys that maybe he'd go out and try to hand a blank check to so that i guess daniel has a number one for the first time or do you see them going that way in the draft how do you see them addressing getting more playmakers for daniel
1: you mentioned Kenny Galladay. I think he's a he's a very interesting guy. I mean, he kind of reminds me in a way of what Plaxico Burris was. He's six foot four. He's uh, two hundred and fifteen pounds. He's a deep threat that can go up and make a bunch of plays. The injury uh, concern is real with him, but I think um, he's a very good player. I think they're going to target Curtis Samuel, Corey Davis. I think they're going to be very aggressive in the free agent market. I think they also have to look to try and improve, you know, their their offensive line as well. I mean, did Daniel Jones? the best type of protection possible. Daryl Williams is a tackle that Dave gentleman actually drafted in Carolina. He's somebody that uh, did have some injury risk a couple of years ago, but he's been you know a 16-game starter the last two years. I think he's somebody that the Giants should look at signing because of that gentleman connection. They need to surround the offense with as much talent as possible to help Daniel Jones. So even if Daniel Jones is not great, You at least know what he is. It goes back to what we were just saying. They do not have enough right now where if you're a Giant fan, you feel comfortable with the receiving core of the offensive line. So I think that has to be the number one goal for Gettleman improving this team this offseason.
0: Now, we are, I believe, a few weeks away now from opening day. How do you see this MLB season playing out at least from a overall perspective, like the world series and whatnot. And then also from a COVID perspective, how do you feel they'll manage that?
1: It's a great question. Um, I think, I think the NFL is kind of going to be business as usual as we get, as we get closer. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't know, there'll be OTAs and whatnot. We saw, we saw there was a way to do it last year without it, basically, but I think the draft will be virtual again, but I think as we get closer, we're going to get to more and more normalcy. Like, there'll be, you know, probably more standard training camp practices this summer, so I think the NFL's in a good place. I mean, we're starting to see baseball uh, announce that they're going to have fans back. I mean, the Texas Rangers said they'll have 100% capacity, so as more and more states kind of relax COVID protocols, I think sports will kind of follow suit, and that, of course, includes the NFL.
0: So, we are um I said this a little bit ago, I think. Uh, we are a couple days away from the real start of baseball season. Who's your pick to win the World Series this season, Jake?
1: I feel like it's, it, it has to be the Yankees right now. I mean, they're, they've been knocking on the door for so long. I can't pick any other team to win from the AL besides the Yankees. I think if they don't get to the World Series this year, that would be a massive disappointment because the American League East got worse with the Rays losing, losing Snell and losing Morton. I think you look at the Red Sox, they're still terrible. I think you look at the Blue Jays, they don't have enough pitching. The White Sox, I think they're about a year away. Astros don't have Verlander this year. They lost Springer. Granky's a year older. So I don't think there's any team in the AL that really scares you. I think the Yankees need to stay healthy. They already lost Britain for first couple months of the season, so in typical Yankee fashion, they're already banged up. But they've been knocking on the door for so long, just like the Dodgers were. I think eventually you break through. So I think the Yankees get there and We'll see who they play, but I think this could finally be the year the Yankees actually win a World Series for the first time since 2009.
0: Well, we're both New York guys. That would be a a hell of a thing to see. Um, Before I let you go here, Jake, I know you're crazy busy. Um, With the NFL draft, as I said, 50 days away, Chris Sims released something the other day where he had Zach Wilson above Trevor Lawrence. He had Kellen Mond in his top quarterback list. So I want to know, where does Jake Asman have the quarterbacks ranked?
1: Ooh, that's tough. I, I would go Trevor Lawrence, one, Zach Wilson, two, Justin Fields, three, Mac Jones, four, Trey Lance, five. I watched a lot of Kellen Mudd at, at Texas A&M living here in, in Houston and knowing plenty of Aggie alums that love their team. And Mudd was good. I, I'm shocked that Sims has him as high as he did, though, but I'll say this about Chris Sims's list couple years back he was high on Patrick Mahomes when not many were he had Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson as his top two quarterbacks from that 2018 class uh last year he said that he would have Burrow one and he have Herbert ahead of Tua so Sims has a pretty good track record at uh breaking down these quarterbacks so if he thinks Wilson is as good as uh you know he's gonna be as good as you know Trevor Lawrence, if not better than Lawrence, I think as Jets fans, if the Jets end up with Zach Wilson, we hope he's certainly right.
0: Yeah, that would be uh, very, very good for Jets fans and for the Jets as a whole. It'd be nice to see them uh, winning some games again. Now, Jake, one question I ask every guest who comes on this show is, when it's all said and done, what do you want your legacy to be?
1: Well, that's tough. Um, I, I, What type of answers do you normally get to that question, man? Like, I'm just... Uh, I'm just a sports radio host. I don't know. Now, um, I don't know. I, I, I think, I guess I want my legacy to be someone that, uh, you know, care about what they did, treated people the right way, good teammate. Uh, you know, I feel like an athlete, you know, reflecting back on their career. And I've always tried to, you know, you know, go about it the right way. Um, you know, treat people the right way. Uh, and, and I, I would just want my legacy to be someone that, you know, cared about what they did and, you know, took the job very seriously but didn't take themselves too seriously at the end of the day and, you know, always always had a good time and tried to, you know, make the best of
0: every situation. Well, I think that was a uh, hell of an answer for not knowing how to answer it originally. That was a uh, pretty damn good one on the uh – top of your head so uh, thank you very much for coming on Jake it was a pleasure to uh, sit down with you despite the uh, crazy construction in the background we'll have to have you on again another time so you can uh, talk without the uh, banging and crashing in the background but uh, Jake where can the people find you? Twitter and Instagram just my name Jake Asman at Jake Asman. Well ladies and gentlemen that was one of the hardest working men in sports Jake Asman. All right. My thanks once again to Jake for coming on Ambitious. It was a lot of fun sitting down with him and talking sports. It's always great uh, talking about my New York Jets and uh, also talking about the Giants and some of the other teams. But a great conversation with him. If you want to listen to more great conversations on this podcast, check us out wherever you listen to podcasts. And then on Instagram, at Ambitious Podcast, Twitter, Ambitious with DP, and YouTube, Ambitious with Dylan Price. We'll be back next week. Have a great, great week, Ambitious listeners. And remember, next week is episode 100 bread